0: Make sure you subscribe to the podcast here on iTunes and share us with a friend. For extra tips on raising smart kids, head on over to artsmartparenting.com and click on the live tab. Jennifer is an entrepreneur with a passion for growing and impacting her students, team, and her community. Whether it is making a difference in her students, team, personal growth, family, or community, Her ultimate mission in life is to make a positive, lasting impact and inspiring others. Growing her business with her husband and family from a one-room dance studio 11 years ago to an organization that now has private and group music. I'm curious to know about your story of how you got to opening a studio.
1: Oh boy. I always danced. Um, I started dance when I was three years old. My parents put me in just because... You know, why does any parent put their three-year-old in dance? They are at home standing in front of a TV shaking their bonbon. My first dance recital, I didn't move. I stood in the middle of the stage. Um, And I just, I wasn't always heavily into dancing. I loved it. I was a competitive dancer, but I never said, oh, I want to own my own dance studio. That was never it for me. Um, I actually wanted to be an astronomer.
0: Wow. And I
1: think part of that beauty was the unknown. And I always said, and I told my husband this, I said, if there's ever a point in time where they do a raffle and I get chosen to fly to the moon, I will fly to the moon. Um, Because, you know, I just think there's such beauty in the unknown and what else is out there. And sometimes the most beautiful things can't always be seen. And then I realized you had to be really good in math and I'm terrible in math. (laughs) So that's what actually stopped me from pursuing becoming an astronomer because you had to be able to do all these equations and all that stuff. And I thought, well, maybe it it could become my hobby. Um, You know, it could become my inspiration. Then I said, I love animals. I want to be a vet, but I'm petrified of needles. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, I can't be a vet. But the one thing that always stuck with me was working with my father and watching my parents build a business. We moved around a lot, Um, but seeing how they worked together and they were two passing shifts. My mom worked during the day, my dad worked at night. And then when they opened their own business, it was just that daily grind and that passion to provide for the family. Mm. And that's what it was about. And they just worked cohesively. Um, And every weekend, I remember being like 10 years old or nine years old and going to work with my father on the weekends and I got to wear my manager's suit. And I always said, Daddy, when I grow up, I'm gonna work in the business with you. Wow. And I just loved that, that energy and that drive and that passion of having a business, but also seeing it's a direct reflection of the legacy you can leave for your family. Um, And how you can provide for your family. And when you have your own business, you are in control of your destiny. And you may fail. And that's okay. But you're still in control of what you do with that failure. And so I think owning a business was always written in the stars for me after seeing my parents live it. Um, And my mom wasn't always directly in the business. But for sure, she raised us kids and gave... My father, that opportunity to do that. So they worked cohesively hand in hand to build the life that we had. And so I loved dance. And then I realized I loved uh, being a leader and and watching this business create an opportunity for my parents to give back.
0: Mm. And that
1: was the other thing they always said. They said, when you are blessed with goodness, you give back tenfold. And in their businesses, um, every Christmas, they would go to the Children's Hospital in in New York, and they would find out how many kids were in the kids' department. And I remember watching my mom wrap these big teddy bears, and she would sit and she would wrap hundreds of them. And then my father would dress as uh, Santa Claus, Mm -hmm. and he would go in, and they would give these gifts to the kids. And I thought, wow, not only is this business providing for our family, it's bringing happiness and joy to others. And so I said, you know what? Um, I was in college and I couldn't pass calculus and that was the last class I needed and I just couldn't pass it. I took so many tutors and I took all this, you know, extra help and everything and everybody passed off of my notes except me. And then I came to the realization I said, my parents never expected this of me. Why am I putting this expectation of myself? And I turned around, I said, you know what? I think I want to open a dance studio. I'm really good at dancing. I'm really good at being creative. And I want to give back. And I want to give these kids an opportunity of some, that that same opportunity that they gave my parents and my father to say, there's something in you and I'm going to help you get there. Um, That's, that's really why I opened because I just, I wanted to create an opportunity within my community that had nothing to do with uh, trophies or who was better than the next person or any of that. Just simple, good, wholesome life lessons, family, uh, you know, and bringing it back to we do so many studio events. And the one thing I tell the parents is. We can never be so big on our britches that we forget that we started out as kids. And, you know, we just have to be kids at heart because if we can't be kids at heart, how can we teach our kids to be kids at heart? Exactly. You know, so Mm -hmm. I just love, I love what I do. And what I love most about it is I get to do it with the people I love most. Uh, My parents are super involved. My siblings are super involved. Um, nothing makes me happier when I get to showcase my family to my families in the studio, because that's the biggest testament of what we're trying to do and our why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it just, it's the epitome of, you know, I tell my team members, I don't want you to be with me the rest of your career unless I'm growing. Because if I'm growing, I have a place for you to grow. Mm -hmm. But you need to grow in your own way, too. So, um, you know, that's just how I got started. I I realized I was really bad in math. And that (laughs) school just was not for me. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I'm still going to school. um, Because I do the conferences and I do the classes. And it's just a different way for me to learn. And when I stopped having the expectations that everybody else had on me. And I just set my own expectations. That's when I grew and I opened the business and the first two years, I won't lie, I ran my business like everybody else did. Uh, you know, what is the norm for a dance school? What is the norm? And then I thought to myself, well, I'm not normal. I'm different because everybody's different. What is the definition of normal, Right. So that's when I turned around and said, well, I didn't open up to create platinum dancers, I opened up to create platinum people. That's beautiful. I love and it. So I my mission has never changed since day 1. I wrote a mission statement, like a little reason about us uh 12 years ago and to this day it's exactly the same and the rock bottom part of it is I wanted to take my life experiences and my youth growing up, and pass it on to these kids so they too can achieve and feel great about whatever it is. And so these parents feel embraced knowing that it's okay to make a mistake as a parent because we're all just doing the best we can. <laughs> and we just gotta hold hands together. We've gotta succeed together and fail together because, um, you know, it takes a village and we can't be against one another. And uh, so that's why I opened. I just wanted a place where people can come smile, be happy, not feel judged, um, and feel like family. And I just want to embrace everybody in my family because my, you know, what makes a strong family is for sure everyone goes through trials and tribulations. Mm -hmm. There's not ever a family that's not perfect. Um, But it's how you come out of that. That's a true testament to how strong you really are. So. You know, if I can just catch these kids when they fall a little bit and give them some tools to help them succeed when they leave Miss Jen, I think, uh, you know, I I think for me, that's success. I may never live in the biggest house, but that's okay, because when I see kids come up to me and say, oh, my goodness, Miss Jen, one little girl, her name is Mackenzie, and last year she walked into the studio and said, Miss Jen, I was being bullied in school, and she was in sixth grade. And I said, Mackenzie, what happened? I said, I'll talk to them, you know, joking around with her. And she says, well, I, I really like Doc McSuffins. And I said, well, that's okay. She goes, well, I'm in middle school. Oh. So she said the kids took my lunch bag and taunted me in the lunchroom and ran around the lunchroom with it. And I said, well, Mackenzie, what are you gonna do about it? Because every time we came home, my parents always said, I'm not going in to talk to your teacher. I'm not going to talk to that kid's parent. Because when I'm not here one day, you have to stick up for yourself. What are you going to do about it? So I turned around and I asked Mackenzie, I said, McKenzie, what are you going to do about it? She goes, well, I don't know. I said, you have two choices. You can let them define you and how you're going to feel, or you can define you and how you're going to feel. So about a week later, she comes back and she goes, Miss Jen, guess what I did today? I go, what'd you do, Mackenzie? She goes, I bought Doc McSuffins back to school. I said, well, why'd you do that? She goes, because I realize I like her. And if I like her, then that's really all that matters. And anything that they say, that's okay because not everybody's going to like the same thing I like. And I was like, you know what, Mackenzie, you are absolutely right. And I think sometimes we're always quick to be the saving grace and we're always quick to be the hero, but really we have to teach them to be their own heroes and, uh, You know, always, always growing up, we were always picked on. Um, You know, I was a little heavier. And so everybody would say 1-800, you know, moo cow chin, or they would say whatever it was. And um, my parents had the McDonald's, so they would send us to school with our lunch bags being the brown paper lunch bags from McDonald's. And I remember being picked on for that. And my parents would always say, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm not going into the school. I'm not calling up this child's parent. How are you going to handle it? Let's have a conversation. What are you going to say? And then they would role play with us. And if they say this, how are you going to respond? And but we're not going to do it for you. We're not speaking for you. We're not defending you for you. Um, so you know, and just passing all those things to the kids because in the arts, the kids always come in and they tell us all those things. So it's being prepared to guide them. You know. So,
0: yeah, yeah. and I, I love hearing your story about how you took something that at the time you perceived to be a weakness, but you turned it into your greatest strength. And that was to be able to to really equip the kids who come to you and, and guide their families in this journey, and to help them understand to appreciate themselves, to stick up for themselves, yeah. and do not let anyone else define. Who they are. So your community is so very blessed to have you there at the helm, teaching these lessons to your kids, because certainly this will be your lasting legacy.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's definitely, uh, you know, a passion and we can't write our children's stories for them. We can only read it along with
0: them as they write it. If you have a conversation with a parent who's new to dance, what are like the top three life lessons you would say that you focus on when they come to your studio?
1: For sure, the first thing would be work ethic. I think to be even good at any type of art, you have to have a certain work ethic to come in and do it over. And over 150%, because 20% isn't going to kick it, even just to kind of get the step or whatever it is. So for sure, it's a work ethic. You can't be lazy and and be successful in any way, shape, or form in the arts. So I tell them work ethic. The other thing I always tell them is perseverance, because you're going to get knocked down so many times, not by anybody else but yourself, because every time you can't get a step or you can't get a certain... Um, chord on the piano and you see other people achieving that just human nature I think we're always hardest on ourselves so it's getting that strength to have that perseverance to do it again and again even if it takes five times 50 times 500 times to not give up Um, so I definitely would say the second thing is perseverance and then the third thing for sure would just be a sense of acceptance within yourself. And just accepting who you are at that point in time, because in different seasons of our life, we're gonna change who we are and what we like to do, what interests us at that time. And I have so many kids who come to me and say, You know, Miss Jen, I really used to love dancing, but I don't wanna do the performance team anymore. What's wrong? And I go, nothing's wrong. When you started dancing, you were five. Now you're 15 and you wanna try something new. That's okay. Um, Parents always ask me that. You know, they, before, I don't think they're gonna wanna do the performance team because they only like dance. They don't love it. And now all of a sudden they're talking about it all the time. Well, they're just in a different season in their life. So it's just accepting whatever they are at that point in their life, whether it's in dance, in school, at home, you know, and I speak about the kids a lot with your body's going to go through different changes. Mm-hmm. They're going to go through having their acne moments and, but just being accepting of who you are entirely at whatever place you are in your life. And I think the arts for sure grows with kids and has a certain way of making them feel accepted no matter where they are so even if they're not feeling very accepting of themselves when they're in a positive environment with the art the art does not discriminate anybody anybody can enjoy it anybody can love it and no matter how much you give to the art the art gives you back so much more and so it's for sure accepting of anybody. And I always tell parents, the first thing they always say is, well, I don't know, my kids shouldn't take tap because they don't have that much rhythm. And I go, well, who told you they don't have that much rhythm? Oh, well, I don't know. And I go, well, let the art define that. Let them take the class and decide that because if they work at it, they will find it because everybody has it in them to love it. You just have to love it and you'll find it. So I think for sure, it's just that acceptance. I mean, you know, and I know we're both creative beings. And even when we fail, we find a way to rebound. And and the next time we do something is probably even that much better because it always accepts us even in our failures. And it gives us that opportunity to make us better, you know? So, um, yeah, I would say
0: work ethic, perseverance, and just that acceptance of being human. And that piece, the acceptance piece, I think is really critical. Cause I think I run into this all the time where even We all have that self-doubt and we are not accepting and forgiving within ourselves. So sometimes it's difficult to teach our kids those lessons because we don't have that sense of confidence and being okay with who we are. And I think today, especially because there's kids have access to so much media, social, otherwise, and they're always comparing someone else's life to theirs, which we know we don't want to do. But again, it's human nature. We look out to sort of see where we fit into the world. And sometimes we have to get that by looking to our friends or to our heroes or whoever else it is. But a lot of those things, a lot of the print media that's out there, it's not true to life. It is just someone's definition of beauty at that time. We're letting kids be defined a little bit by what they're seeing. And I think it's tragic. So to be able to give them a place where they can come in and feel completely accepted. Maybe they're terrible at school and they have a hard time and they struggle and they feel not so great there. But when they walk through the doors and they feel that love and they know no matter what happens, they have this family to surround them. I think that is one of the greatest gifts we can give to not only our kids, but really to anybody.
1: Yes. No, I completely agree. I think to your point with the social media you know just even with bullying back in the day you would get you know taunted in school but it stayed at school because when you went home there wasn't the computer there wasn't the internet there wasn't the social media so home became your safe haven because it couldn't touch you there now it travels home with the kids and sometimes it's so silent because you don't see always what's going on in their phone or something like that But when they're in the arts, or they're in the classes, they're up and doing things. They're active and they're away from that, you know? So even, it's sad, but Misty said, you know, there's always that one place, there's that second home, there's that third home. And sometimes the arts becomes even the second home because in their second home, sometimes as parents, we don't know what's going on. And it's not that we don't want to, it's just, we, it, sometimes you just don't know because there's so much going on in life and that they have access to. So if they don't tell you, this is what's happening on social media and this is how I'm being bullied, you think they're sitting on the couch completely comfortable as a, as a peach, when meanwhile, internally, they're sad and they're hurting. But when they go to class, They cannot be on their phone learning how to turn or play an instrument or do karate. So they're in a zone where it's mentally healthy for them. Mm -hmm. And it's giving them that outlet that home used to give them because they don't have access to that during those classes. Um, So I think for sure that's another way how if kids don't have an outlet for the arts, even if it's a half hour class, that their parents can get them into. Even if it's a six week course of something, whatever, a class at AC Moore, you know, those baking classes, something where the kids can't get their hands on a phone or an iPad or an iPod or a Snapchat, something where they can just 100% be a kid. Um, you know, I think that that is what's healthy for them because then they're being creative And nobody's judging them once again they're in the arts no one's judging what they are doing whereas when they're on that social media they're judging themselves because they're comparing themselves to what's on there and we do it as adults yes you know so to expect that kids don't do it is kind of silly because i know you know i can turn it off faster because i know better (laughs) but it doesn't stop me from saying "Ooh." You know, look at that mom who, you know, they have that one mom who has X amount of kids, but she's super duper fit. And I look at her and go, hey, that should be me, but it's not me. And that's okay. You know, so it's just teaching the kids that even as adults, we make the same mistakes. We just know a little bit better and have a few more tools than they do. And that's what I think the arts teaches them is to give them a tool belt. And that's the other thing I always tell my students. I say, you come to class to fill your tool belt. Yes, And when you go outside in life, you pull out whatever tool you need. And they always go, wow, Miss Jen. And I said, you know, a carpenter doesn't use every single tool at the same time. He uses the one, he focuses on the one tool that he needs to get that job done. And then he puts it back in his tool belt. I said, so you may not use it all the time, but doesn't mean you forget it at home. Just because he doesn't use a hammer in every single job doesn't mean he leaves it at home. He constantly has it with him. So I said the arts provides you with tools and your parents provide you with tools that you may not use every single day, but when you need it, it's there and you pull it out and then you tuck it back away. And so I think the arts is just a way and parents and and home life for, you know, majority of kids who have very involved parents, I think we just provide them tools, you know, but, and that's all we can do because we can't force them to use them.
0: And I love this analogy about the tool belt, because it's something that they can understand. And even as adults, something we can understand here as well. Oh, yeah, there are a different tool. And so when I'm driving my car, I use one set of tools. But when I'm home cooking dinner, it's a completely different set of tools. I still know those other things, but I put them aside to do like you said, the one thing, what is the one thing you can focus on? The one thing that you can do today to make yourself better than you were yesterday. So that is amazing. And I love that you said also that when the kids are coming to classes, we're asking them to put their phones away. I also think we're asking the kids to get out of their heads and to really not be able to focus on that negative self-talk, which we all have. And it's just part of who we are. We just need to have, again, the tools to be able to Silence that when we need but when they're with us and we're giving them something to focus on There's not the quiet time. It's not the time to relax. It's the time to reinvigorate Re-energize and really give them a time to leave everything else at the door and focus on them in this moment today
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, there's just the world is moving so quickly and I think sometimes for our kids, especially our younger, our younger, you know, the five to 15 year olds, I would say that that young group is, it's just moving too fast for them, that they're not getting a chance to enjoy being a seven year old and to enjoy being a nine year old, because what their parents are seeing on, on social media, and let's take, you know, Dance Moms is a perfect example. I think those gals are beautiful dancers. They're amazing, but it's comparing apples to oranges. You know, you're taking a rec dancer, thinking that that's what they should be looking like. Meanwhile, those children are getting hours upon hours upon hours of training. So now they're thinking that they're not good enough, they're not capable of enough. Um, you know, when meanwhile, no, they're doing exactly what they should be doing with the amount of what they have. And so I think it's just as parents really creating that clear picture for the kids of this is where you should be right now Um, even in the baby classes when the kids are two three and four years old Mm -hmm. they should be learning about creative movement and how it's okay to maybe look a little quirky that's that's okay and not to sit back and say well those children should be doing leaps now they're three you know those are the kids that should be learning I see a pretty little scarf, I wanna dance with that scarf because I think it's pretty because the music is telling me it's pretty. If I'm three and I sit at a piano, I want to bang on the keys because I like the way that sounds. It's okay that they're not playing the C major scale at three years old and they're sitting there pounding. But I think once again, because of what we see and those expectations that are set is that, You know, I think the expectations are higher for the children than developmentally and maturity wise, what they're ready for. Yeah. And so, you know, but as parents, it's hard to take that step back and say, it's okay when you see everybody else's kid doing one thing and you're going, well, my kid really just wants to run around and play in the dirt, but they shouldn't because everybody else's children are doing this and this is what society says my child should be doing. And it's hard as a parent sometimes to, to differentiate that because we get caught up and it's human nature to do that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Years ago, um, before I went to graduate school and learned about multiple intelligences, I had this student and it drove me nuts in class because she would never look at me. She would, you know, we'd be doing choreography and or I'd be doing something at the ballet bar and she's like literally like looking around the room and she's doing everything except like pay attention. I think she's totally not paying attention. And I was always amazed because when I turned the music on this beautiful, flawless execution. And I kept thinking, wait, like how does that even happen? Because she wasn't even looking at me. And what I have noticed, what I've realized later on is that she's not a visual learner. Like she can hear it. She doesn't have to see it to do it. She can just hear it and she sees it playing out in her mind's eye. She doesn't need me to stand up there. She just needs the words. She's yeah. learning through the words. She's learning through language. And what she sees really has no bearing on what she learns. And so as a teacher, I mean, I was, I was looking and researching and trying to figure out how do I help this kid? What's happening? But then I'd see her do this and I was amazed. So this is a perfect example of when we talk to our parents, we have to manage their expectations. And for, and for us as parents, We have to manage the expectations we have of our own kids and not try to put them at this higher level because you said a lot of times these little kids, the moms of little kids expect them to come be the next Beyonce or expect them to be the next um, Misty Copeland. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and that may be what they think their child will like, but some of them are living vicariously, and that's, again, human nature. We just see this vision. We, maybe we missed out as a kid ourselves, so we want our kids to have those experiences, and maybe they'll love it, maybe they won't, but we have to be able to manage the expectation. We have to be able to have a conversation with our kid and say, is it is not appropriate to say these things on social media. When you look at this, it's like, you know, a pretend story. It's like a fairy tale. What you see on social media has nothing to do with their real life. It is what, it's, it's the image or the persona that they're creating of themselves, maybe to make themselves feel better, but right. really posting only the good bits. You know, we don't ever see the bad bits when they fell down or, you know, the building burned down or they crashed on their bike. Nobody posts pictures of those things.
1: Right, right, right. I saw the kids. I'm like, they're posting their highlight reel, not the goof reel at the end of the credits. Yes. I said, what you're seeing is the trailer. You're seeing all the great parts. They left out all the scrap pieces that are on the floor of the editing room. You're not seeing any of that. But, and you could probably, you relate to this as well. I know a lot of times when it comes to my daughter, I'll start going into this tizzy, and my husband will always say, well, what would you tell a parent if they came to you with that same exact thing? And I go, well, I would tell them X, Y, and Z. And he goes, well, why is it so hard for you to, to separate that? And I said, you know, so I'm trying really hard now before I go crazy or not understanding or thinking something's wrong with my child. Why isn't she doing this or why isn't she doing that? And he always goes, what would you tell a parent if they came to you? And 99% of the time, it's just, that's where they are developmentally. They'll grow into it. They're perfectly, you know, all of those things. And he goes, but yet you always think there's something wrong with our daughter. So I always start laughing and I go, you know what? That's a great lesson. Um, You know, is what, what would you tell somebody else? And I think even as friends, even if you don't work with children or you're not privy to having, you know, the education or experience that we have from working with kids, just even as a friend, you always tell your friend that if they say, oh, my son or daughter did this, 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 I'm so worried. As a friend, we turn around and go, oh, my child went through that. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But we never do that first for ourselves as parents. So I think, um, you know, my biggest advice, and I'm working on this with parents would be, what would you tell another parent? <laughs> you know, would, would it be totally okay and um, accepting and the kids will come out of it, then you know, be accepting and it's totally okay of your kid too, because, uh, you know, sometimes we just need that that comfort, you know, and I think the other biggest thing that I see all the time is, and I experienced this growing up in high school too, parents telling their kids how to feel. You didn't get that part you're going to be so upset if you don't get that part well of course now if they don't get that part they're going to be so upset because mom told them to be so upset um you know if you get a bad grade you're going to be so disappointed when you don't make it into the school that you wanted to get into well of course they're going to be so disappointed because you just painted those feelings for them um and we when i opened the studio actually no i'm lying when i first got pregnant my parents sat me down and they said you know, kids don't come with manuals. You just do your best and you're the best parent because every day you just wake up and give your best. And that's what makes you the best parent. And, you know, I always tell the parents, our job is not to help them when they're when we're here on this earth. And because we're always gonna be able to brush off their boo-boo, kiss away their sorrow, like we're always going to be here, but we cannot do it so much to the point where when we're not here anymore, they don't know how to do that on their own. And so we have to know as parents and as educators when to step back and kind of when to let them fall and then embrace them when they fall and teach them that's okay, but we have to be okay with letting them fall because if not, they won't know how to pick themselves back up when we're not around.
0: And it's hard,
1: hard. Yeah, and I think that's the hardest thing, whether you're a parent, a teacher, um, a coach, you know, and I think the place you find it the most is the arts because the arts has such a competitive nature to it. Well, my kid did this in field hockey, what did your child do? My Mm -hmm. child did this in karate and they have this belt, What does your child have? Um, You know, I think that's the easiest place. But I told my kids um, this weekend when we did the benefit, I said, Gaz, let me tell you something. I said, in life, everybody doesn't get a plastic trophy. In real life, there's winners and there's people who flounder, but then they pick themselves back up. I said, so, you know, that's real life. Not everybody gets recognition. Not everybody gets acknowledgement. Those are things that you have to work for. You have to work to be acknowledged. You have to work to um, be recognized for your hard efforts. You know, I said, and it uh, goes hand in hand with respect. Respect isn't given. It's something that's earned. And I think that's the other thing that the arts teaches you is, You know success in the arts isn't given to you just because you want it and I always tell the parents I actually said this at my performance team meeting because you always have parents who want their children you know to move up or they but they look really pretty they look like they can keep up and the best analogy that I've found is yes they look beautiful on stage yes they have energy beyond belief but if their technique isn't there it's not there that's like going into school and telling the math teacher Well, two plus two really equals nine because their penmanship was beautiful and perfect. It still doesn't make two plus two equal nine right just because they were put together and they're, you know, it it just doesn't make it right because it looks beautiful. And that's what you want it to be. Um, You know, so I think sometimes as parents, we want it more for our kids than our kids want it. And it's knowing, and it's knowing that difference. Um, you know and that's why i said i i was blessed to have great parents that kind of when i get in that mode they snap me out of it um but for sure having those lessons along the way there was five of us in my family wow. so yeah we were never compared to each other um i was never book smart but my big sister was she is one of the smartest people i know and She just makes me so proud because she's so smart. All my siblings are so, so, so smart. And I was always that one that just wasn't book smart. And you know, my oldest brother was one of those kids that didn't have to study, but could still get a straight A, right? Or my little sister right now, she's like, no, I'm gonna go for my masters and I'm gonna go for my doctorates. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I couldn't even make it through like the first two, but yet I'm successful. And I have a successful business and I'm making a difference in my community and I'm impacting lives and I'm continuing to learn just in a way that suits me. And never once did my parents ever, ever, ever make me feel inadequate or not measuring up or they always just said, Jennifer, you just learn differently. So let's find a way to make you learn. And so I did the piano and the violin and the horseback riding and the karate and the dance and because that's how I learned. That's what stimulated me. So for sure they embraced it and that was it. And when I said, I want to open a business, they said, great. And the one thing my father said was, how are you going to keep learning? What a great, I said, I'm I'm, going to take classes. I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And so it wasn't no, don't do that. It was, that's wonderful, but how are you going to keep learning? How are you going to keep growing? And the expectation for my sister to always get straight A's because that's what she was capable of was equivalent to my, you studied really hard and you got that C, that's wonderful, but now, how are you going to get better?
0: Okay. You and know, a great takeaway too, too. There's a couple parts to this, and one is, is teaching our kids to be able to define what success means to them. Because when we look around the world, there's lots of ways to be successful. But until you yourself, and I still 16 years later into my business, every day I have to reevaluate this question. What does yeah. success mean to me? What do I need to create in the world? What is my vision? What is my mission? How can I make the most change? And what does it mean to be successful? So I always tell my kids that you know when you're going on a road trip and you know you want to get to a certain destination, there's lots of different ways you can get there. You, yeah. have to, you have to choose the best path that works for who you are in this moment. You know, tomorrow it could change. Maybe you'll turn around and go the other way. But until you understand what success looks like for you, it's really hard to get, it's really easy to get wrapped up into appearances. And then yeah. that's where the comparison, I believe, starts to kick in and say, well, oh, Like you said you have these siblings who did really really well in school you know and i i I can i can relate to this because my brother he never did anything and he (laughs) just you know look at something and he'd go and take this take this um, test and be fine. You know, and it's funny because my parents, my, my mom is Korean, so I mean, the Korean culture is very different as far as the expectations for kids in academics. So, you know, I was really, really good when I was a kid in English. Like, I loved to write. You know, I was a really good speller, did really, really well. Meanwhile, my brother was really, really great at math. Like, he could figure anything out. Like, he has that mechanics brain that can just look at something and figure out a solution without really even trying. Whereas, you know, I would go into that situation and be like, wait, I don't even know what's going on. Um, So, my parents, thinking they were helping us to be better, you know, he got this little educational tool that was supposed to help him work on learning to spell and to be able to do his English. And I got this little tool about having to help me do math problems, you know, whether it was addition, subtraction, it did a bunch of different things. It was very archaic compared to what kids have these days. But I think this is also one of those comparison things where we try to keep, we try to push our kids into a place where we feel that society says, okay, this is the normal thing. And a couple weeks ago, I did a whole podcast on, is my child normal? You know, right, and, so what's normal? Yeah. like right. Everybody has their own normal. Yeah. Thing, no, for sure. I, you
1: know, and like I said, you know, my oldest brother, he has a computer company. He's great. My little brother works for, be- like, they're just so smart. And then I thought, you know, and it wasn't until, and I'll be really honest with you, even when I opened up the studio, I was. I wasn't even in my twenties yet. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I thought to myself, gosh, darn it. I'm smart too. Yeah. You know, I thought I opened a dance studio because I'm going to take the easy way out because I can't sit in school for nine years to be a doctor. I can't sit to go through law school and pass all the board exams. I'm just not smart enough. And I said, so I'm going to open a dance studio because I think helping kids and giving somebody an opportunity. Oh, that's really the easier way out. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, gosh, darn it. That was the hard way out because then I Mm -hmm. had to learn how to run a business. I had to learn how to be compassionate, you know, and and to learn above and beyond just teaching somebody how to straighten their legs and point their toes. There was so much more to it. And I realized I am smart. I'm just a different definition of smart and that's okay. And so, um, Yeah, you know, I just, owning the studio has probably been the best decision I've ever made in my life. It's helped me grow. It's helped children. It's helped carry on a legacy that my parents started a long time ago. Uh, My dad's Chinese and my mom's Puerto Rican. So yeah, the, the family dynamic, I mean, Sundays were family day. Sundays, we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. You wanted to hang out with your friends. My dad would be like, Tony, Chrissy, we're going to the movies because Jennifer wants to hang out with her friends. Your siblings are your friends. (laughs) And I think what the arts does, though, is create a family environment where sometimes, unfortunately, there isn't one. Um, You know, because as much as we would love to think that all children have that opportunity to have a beautiful home life, sometimes that's not always the case. And I think what the arts does is it unifies kids Into enjoying and loving the same things and it creates a little family Mm -hmm. um, you know either in addition to their already amazing family or creates a family that you know is a little bit a different dynamic but still creates that family atmosphere where I think nowadays sometimes we lose we're always running and we have our kids in 40 million different things or you know a lot of us are working parents so it's learning that time management between work-life balance and home balance. So it just gives an extra opportunity to create a loving family atmosphere. Where sometimes, if your children aren't in the arts or doing an activity, that it's there's a little gap that it's filling um, for sure. You know, especially especially if they're not having that luck at school with finding their their group of friends or something. It's a place where they have all common things that they love together. So it creates that family feeling, you know, and all kids like that family feeling. And sometimes they don't realize that they're missing it until they feel it.
0: Yes, exactly. You know,
1: so I think that's the other thing that the arts really creates is that family,
0: that family life. Yeah, and to add on to that, I think that the arts really provides kids a place to be able to focus on what they're good at yeah you know, because so many times in life kids are told they're not good at math they're not good at language and that gets wrapped up into their personality and who they define themselves as and I, I think that's so sad I have a, a close friend who I wrote about in the book and you know I have this little girl in my dance class and I've had her for three or four years now and you know this is a kid who just needs to move I mean there is just no sitting still it's not in, it's not in her DNA to sit and read and write like <coughs> jumping on the trampoline or she's turning and they're practicing spelling words, that's what she needs to engage her brain and for her to feel successful. So mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest takeaways here is that the arts really meets people where they are. But yeah. uh, no matter how you learn, no matter what your background is, it's the great equalizer. You, yes. you come in, you create this family, really this close-knit family that are friends truly forever. And it is just a place where kids feel completely accepted and they learn to be better people. I talk to my parents about all the time, you know, when it comes to the discussion about tuition and how much is it going to cost? It's not about the now. You're in investing in your child's future self. Who do you want them to be 20 years from now? You know, they may be still turning on the stage and being able to, you know, be this, the, the lead singer in a rock band. The end result doesn't matter, but these lessons that are embedded every day through family life, through studio life, just through the arts, are going to carry on and make a bigger impact than probably anything else that they're going to do outside of the studio.
1: Right, and I think you made a great point, Young, where you said, um, you know, we always focus on the weaknesses. If they're not good in math, we'll spend $1,000 to get them every single math tutor. Meanwhile, they're never going to be a mathematician, but they could be really great in the arts and we're always hesitant to invest that money. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. it could go on to do something phenomenal with it. They could end up being a college professor teaching music. They can open up their own dance studio and become a business owner and an entrepreneur they can. So I think we focus a lot on building up where the weaknesses are. And I think we just do that as human beings, you know, even in our businesses, what's the one place we lack. That's where we always try and get the most help where it's like, okay, well I'm terrible at accounting. Why am I trying to understand what's going on? You know? And I think as parents, we do the same thing. We just, and it's not a bad thing because we just want our kids to succeed. Yes, we just want our kids to achieve, Um, you know. So I think that's the one commonality that every single parent has is there's no, once again, parenting never came with a manual. Sometimes good enough has to be good enough. And we're already the best parents because we're doing the best we can. And, you know, and I think that goes the same for being an educator and working with kids and being in the arts is, Sometimes there's no right or wrong. There's only good enough of what we know. And as long as we continue learning and growing and righting our wrongs, um, you know, sometimes it's not good enough just to do everything right. It's more importantly, making sure you're doing the right thing. Mm. And sometimes those are the hardest things to do. Yeah. And those are the hardest decisions to make, um, you and know.
0: allowing yourself to make those decisions that could be not the right ones, but they have to be made for you to continue to grow. Yes. Like, your dad, like your dad had said to you, if you're not green, you're not growing. So it's yes. not always that bit of a fear or a little bit, um, I guess, of trepidation or really, if if you're feeling those feelings, it's probably a good thing, right? Because it really tells us that we're still growing and then there's there's yes something better on the other side of that growth. It's just a matter of allowing ourselves to understand that that process is okay. We don't have to have all the answers. And the best part about life is that really it is this great adventure, and we have to all take our own path and get there in our own ways. And that is completely the normal path for each of us to take. Right. And I think, too, that it's it's important for everyone to do the arts, even
1: as adults, because I think with the arts – Whether it's dance or figure skating, whatever it is, it's always evolving and changing. So you're almost always forced to be learning and growing. You never reach a point where they say, yes, you have mastered it. And that is it. You got 100% on your board exams. You know every single law inside and out. You're done. Go practice. You know, until they change something. Yeah. The arts... It's always evolving. Yes. And there's never a right or wrong in it, you know? It's so subject to somebody's personal opinion that that's another reason why it's a beautiful thing, because it just accepts everybody. Yes. Whether you like that style or you don't like that style, there's a style for everyone. It's very accepting. And it's always growing. And I think that's what's beautiful about it, is it teaches these kids. Growing never gets old. Yeah. Learning never gets old. It's just a way of life. And if you make learning a way of life, you for sure will always be successful, you know? Um, and I think it just teaches, everyone measures success in different ways. Everyone is successful. Um, actually, another thing that my parents always told us were you know, everybody is rich and poor in their own way. And they say, you know, mm-hmm. some people are, are rich financially but poor emotionally they don't have those relationships they don't so no no matter how much money they ever make and no matter how big and beautiful their house is and the amazing car that they drive if they don't have somebody to share those happinesses with Mm -hmm. you may see them as successful but to them they're not and they said vice versa you know once again growing up my father built our dressers you know, I wore my sister's clothes and then all of a sudden we went through this change where my parents were really, really ultra successful, but the memories that mm-hmm. I learned from were those where we were fruitful and rich in growing up in having each other and having that family life. And that's what I want to build for my daughter where I may never have the biggest house, but that's okay. Cause I'll have a happy house. And to me, that's rich. Um, you know, and so it's so great when I interact with the kids and when I interact with the parents, having them come in and knowing that everyone defines rich and poor in different ways. And I always have so many parents that'll say, you know, and I'm sure you, I'm like, you drove in in a Mercedes and you're complaining about a $3 raise, right? (laughs) But then I sit back and I always remember what my father said. Everyone defines rich and poor in different ways. Yes and who am I to judge them on that? So that's what I try and teach the kids. You know, everyone don't judge people by what your definition of being rich and being poor is, because it's not always monetarily. It's not always financially. Um, Sometimes it's just emotionally or or relationship-wise, or, um, you know, and through the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So most of the time people will speak out what they're feeling inside and we don't understand. And I think that's why the arts are so beautiful because everyone communicates differently. And sometimes that's the only way people know how to communicate. So I think it's another outlet for kids who maybe can't sit down and say, Hey, mom and dad, this is what I'm feeling today. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling super happy. I had a great day. Sometimes they don't know how to communicate that, Mm -hmm. but they can do it by movement or by sitting down at a piano and playing a beautiful piece um you know it's just it's i think it's a communication tool and i think sometimes the arts is shadowed over and it's not used as a communication tool all the time where i think it's a huge asset to a child to be able to go in and just move and if they're feeling sad move sadly if they're feeling happy move happily and just have that come out um you know, it is is—it is a language, and I think it gets overlooked. Art is a language. It's, it's communication, and we just use it sometimes as what appeals to the eye, not what do we see in their soul.
0: Yeah, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, is that really art is in the beauty of the beholder. Yeah. It can really be anything. It's not defined by the painting on the wall or, or where it's located, just because people have... Mm-hmm you applauded something does not mean that you're going to like it or that it's art to you. So again, everything we talked about today is such a testament to why the arts are so important for kids to have access to. So what is the website address of your school? It is danceitupstudios.com. Excellent. I will make sure that I put that all in the notes so people can click right to you because I think that they need to go see what you've created there. And if there's not something in their local communities, hopefully that will inspire them to go out there and have sort of a roadmap to find a school that speaks to them and speaks to who they want to be as parents and who they want their kids to be. If our listeners have more questions for you, what is the best way for them to reach you? For
1: sure, they can email me at danceitup1062 at gmail.com or info at danceitupstudios.com. They can also call uh, the number 609-581-0808. I'm always up for chatting. That's probably my greatest thing. I am Spanish, so I love talking. I'm more than up for a nice little chat. Or they can just come visit us. For sure. You know, we love just embracing any person who wants to come be part of our family, even if they're not coming for a dance class. Sometimes it's just nice to have the community um, in and involved and doing all that good stuff with us. So they're more than welcome to just pop on in anytime to chat with
0: us. Well, excellent. Again, I'll make sure that I share that so people can reach out to you directly. And I so want to thank you for your time today. I've learned so much about you and I have loved hearing your story, hearing your passion and understanding that what you're doing is just making such a huge impact. And I so appreciate your time and everything that you do. Thank you, Yang. Thanks for tuning in to the Raising Smart Kids podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend and head on over to iTunes and leave us a review there and let us know you're enjoying the show. If you're looking for more tips on raising smart kids, head to amazon.com and pick up a copy of my first book, Raising a Superhero, How to Unleash Your Child's Eight Superpowers and Propel Learning Through the Arts. Thanks for allowing me to be your guide on this parenting adventure and I look forward to catching you next time.